This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Today is July the 28th of the year 2022, which happens to be my sister's birthday. So I'd like to wish my sister Rachel a happy birthday. I think that should provide cover for me for getting to send a card, shouldn't it? It's always a nice test to see if someone's listening. Now this episode is all about getting lost pets back home because this week the registration opened for the Return to Home Challenge. Best Friends is one of more than a dozen organizations supporting this nationwide challenge. That is what it says it is. Any shelter or rescue organization that handles lost or stray dogs and cats, the challenge is to create a culture of return to home, not only within the organization, but across the entire community. Regardless of where you may be in terms of your efforts to reunite pets with their families, we would love for you to take part. Links will be in the show notes area of your podcast player and always on bestfriends.org slash podcast. Look for the link at the top of the page to this episode, number 121. Now, the Return to Home Challenge takes place during the month of October, but registration, as I said, is happening right now. And it actually closes on August 1st, so don't put it off. Again, links in the show notes area on your podcast player or on bestfriends.org slash podcast. To talk about the challenge and to offer some strategies you can employ to get lost pets back home where they belong, we're very excited to have her back on the podcast, the queen of Return to Home, the National Shelter Engagement Director for the Michelson Found Animals Foundation, Gina Nepp. All right, Gina. Well, for folks who are maybe not as aware of Michelson and the work that you do there, uh, can you maybe just tell me more about the foundation, the types of things that you support? Okay. Well, Michelson is involved in a variety of things, not just animal welfare. Uh, One of the key programs we're working on is Pet Inclusive Housing Initiative. We have a partnership with Hobry. We've done a lot of research in the landlord rental space trying to illustrate that animals in housing is actually better for the economy and for the property owner. We formerly had the microchip company in the registry, which I think you know we sold to Pet Health, but we are still called Found Animals and still investing heavily in um, the sheltering space. We've done a lot of partnerships with Maddie's Fund on the challenges. We've got one coming up, the Return to Home Challenge. Um, but Dr. Michelson is interested in a variety of things like, um, but we, you know, we invest in, in people that are incarcerated. It's, it's all over the charts, but animals are a big chunk of what we do. Um, and so thus they hired me a couple years ago, wait, almost three years ago now to strictly focus on return to home initiatives. And that's why we're here today, I think. Well, that is why we're here today. Uh, And when it comes to pets getting back home, you are like really into this. Of course I'm into this. I'm like the queen. Honestly, whenever anyone around here, we're talking about podcast episodes or anything, whenever anyone says return to home, you're always the first name that's mentioned. Well, yeah. I mean, somebody has to drive the bus, right? And this is the bus that I'm driving. We've spent so much time and money putting animals into new homes. Because that it is not that that was a bad thing, but that's what we thought was the best thing at the time. And I think it's we finally realized that most of these animals do have homes and names and people that love them and, you know, the kibble they're used to. And we should be investing more time in trying to get them back home. It's cheaper. It's easier. It's better for the animal and it's better for the human at the other end of the leash. 
do we have any idea, and I understand these things are always going to vary community to community, but from a data perspective generally, do we have any idea how many pets that enter shelters enter as owned pets? Well, you know, and it depends who you ask, but I think it would be safe to say that 70 to 80% of the animals coming into shelters have homes. Sure, we have confiscations and abandonments and things like that and surrenders, but most of the animals coming in are, dogs specifically, are owned. Cats are kind of skewed because of the community cat population that may have 10 homes, but they still have homes too. Just so people understand how impactful the strategies we're going to talk about today are, you know, prior to, to Michelson, you were at the Front Street Animal Shelter in Sacramento. What was the increase in those return to home rates from when, you know, before you put these things in place and then after? Right. We were pretty low, probably 18 percent, 17, 18 percent in the beginning. We started implementing some strategies and I think they got it. We got it up to 37 or 38 I don't know where they are now. It's not an improvement that happens overnight, too. I mean, it's a huge culture shift for the entire organization to switch their thinking into, you know, let's not talk first about getting this animal to rescue or transfer, but let's figure out how do we get this animal back home. And it's not rocket science or I couldn't do it. Um, I could think of a shelter right now, uh, Rochester, New York. They were at, oh, I don't know, I think it was like 20 something percent or 40 something percent. I can't remember exactly. And in a matter of, you know, three fiscal cycles, their return home rate for dogs, I think, is 67%. That's huge. I mean, if the whole country could be at 67%, I think we could hit our 2025 goal of no kill in America. I really do. So, but we still have shelters that are at five, six, seven percent. Um, and they just don't know what they don't know. But hopefully we will influence them and and spark some excitement over this this body of work that we do. So the Maddie's Fund Return to Home Challenge, there are seven goals, which I think, I think I'd like to just go through them one by one, if you're okay with that. Um, but before we do that, can you give me just a high level overview of the Return to Home Challenge? Well, it's, it's starting July 25th. Applications are being accepted for only one week. And during the month of August, we will have a number of huddles that applicants can participate in so that they can hear and speak with experts in the industry, because I'm not the only one, and literally talk to shelters that are doing the strong work, have, have employed all the strategies and have seen positive results. And then the month of October will be spent, that will be, be the actual challenge month. And so we'll go through the strategies, like you said, or the, the goals that we're hoping that shelters will uh, elect to em employ during this and see where we so we see where we get. I mean, it's there's 300 and I think there's $300,000 in the pot right now. Um, Maddie's, Michelson and Petco have all supported financially. And then we have over a dozen other agencies that are supporting it in other ways like you. I do have one goal for this, and that is we have shelters from every single state in the country of participating. That's a goal. I think we're like seven short. We will be seven short, but we're working on them. And that it will be the most, um, I don't know, the most vibrant challenge yet with the most applicants. We're seeing a lot of energy behind it. And $300,000 is a lot of money. And this is not an expensive program. So five grand goes a long way when it comes to return to home. Okay, so let's go through the seven. Number one, all animals in the community have identification. So are we talking ID tags, microchips? In, my, in our perfect world, it will be an external ID tag and a currently registered microchip. And I use the analogy that 
the tag is like the license plate on your car and the chip is like the VIN. And people think about that and they say, oh, that makes sense, right? Because if someone steals your plate or it falls off, we could still find the owner through the chip or through the VIN. Can you imagine if, let's just say 90% of the animals in America are wearing or have valid identification. Some of us would go out of business. I mean, it would be awesome because animals are getting lost every day, all day long with identification and they're not coming to the shelter. That all these animals are coming in without ID. Well, yeah, because whoever found them didn't have a resource. They didn't have a phone number to call. There wasn't any action to take, right? There's no chip. Those are the animals we're getting. I tend to be kind of almost rabid about this. I, no naked animals in America. You should not let your dog or cat go out naked. You don't, so don't let them. So ideally, a part, let's just say someone in the challenge decides that this is going to be their focus. So they start giving out free ID tags or they have microchipping campaigns. They are going out in the community. There's Their officers are talking to people about it. Um, Washoe County Reno is a really good example. They've done 35,000 free microchips in Reno and their return to home rates almost 70% for dogs. That's that, And that's why. So that's what we mean by that component of the challenge. Vaccine, microchip clinics, you know, these types of events, they're great opportunities to get out into the community also, right? You know, especially if you've not had that kind of relationship with pet owners in your community, now you're not only getting IDs on animals that need them, uh, and that's going to help you get animals back home, but you're also making connections with pet owners in the community and being that positive resource that you really need to be. But even beyond that, John, like, I would like to see a shelter that applies for this grant, write a letter to every private veterinarian in their community, encouraging them to register the chip for their client, because that's not happening happening most of the time. So it, that's, a, that's still part of this project, right? It's not just us implanting chips. So it's really think, I hate outside of the box, but you know, just outside of the hemisphere on what you could be doing to raise awareness. And another big key thing is the messaging that we put out to people. If we're putting animals on our marketing materials and y'all do it, you do it. I'm fixing it though. I called Julie on it. Um, don't, 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 don't use marketing with animals that are not wearing external identification because if we want American people to do something, we need to model that behavior. I'm sure someone's listening to this right now and saying, yeah, great, we'd love to do that, but we don't have resources for that. Uh, so any advice, you know, getting chips cheaply or anything like that? Call your microchip company and say, we're gonna be part of this challenge. Can you double, you know, can you, can you give us an extra hundred? You know, if you're paying more than $5 for a chip, you're paying too much. I'm not endorsing anybody, but try to drive your price down. Um, I think that's critical. I mean, this is business, right? And we negotiate with other vendors for good prices. I think that's a good place to start. And also when you do offer a, a microchip to someone, ask them if they'd like to pay it forward. Would they be willing to add an additional, you know, donate $5? Put a jar at your front counter and out, have your clerical staff literally ask people. We're trying to make sure every lost pet gets home and we need to do blah, blah, blah. Can you give us a few bucks? I mean, at one time at Front Street in one month, we got $12,000 in donations from the clerical staff simply asking. 12 grand, buy you a lot of chips, buy you a tag machine, you can give away free tags. I found that asking for a donation 
got us more money than actually charging $5 or whatever the dollar amount was. What a great campaign this is to rally support around as well. You know, you know, I think if I were a local business and I support the shelter and I was approached by the shelter to support an effort to get lost animals back home, I'd have a hard time saying no. You know, I think we think of our local businesses as the places to go for the big fundraising events. But, you know, there are businesses for this type of thing as well. And, you know, often they may have a parking lot or a facility that you could use for your clinic. And there's plenty of businesses in our communities that are animal friendly. The staff actually bring their pets to work. Um, we had red, I think it was red tail in Sacramento and everybody that worked there could bring their dogs to work. So they started fostering a shelter dog for us and someone would take it home. And I don't know how many they got adopted for us, but they became a sponsor too, a monetary sponsor. So an organ, a business like that would really be inclined to say, yeah, we want to sponsor, you know, let's get everything a tag or a microchip. You got to ask. You got to ask. Words to live by. Okay, so number two, return to home policies and lost found techniques are marketed to the community. What does that mean? Well, we do a poor job of remembering to regularly message the importance of ID tags and microchips to our community. I mean, we'll put a post up before the 4th of July, right? We'll, we'll remember maybe once or twice a year, but and I'll use El Paso, Texas as an example. Every week, there's one or two posts about, look, Fluffy got home and Officer Brown drove Fluffy to his house because he had a microchip. Or we found this owner and now, you know, Fido got a free microchip and has a free ID tag. So if he ever gets lost again, he can get home quickly. They're weaving in the messaging in a very real way. You've got to check out their Facebook page. I am so impressed with what they're doing. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for. Because if you talk about it, right, what you what you measure gets done, what you talk about gets noticed, and we need to be talking about this more often. And yeah, maybe it's not sexy, so let's make it sexy. And I can think of a number of ways to do that, or fun, right? I'm glad you brought up El Paso. I have them on my notes to talk about because of the amazing work they've done specifically around technology. But, you know, this aspect, messaging success stories of lost pets getting back home, uh, really, it's going to just implant chip jokes, implant, it really will get folks, I think, thinking about their own pets, right? Like, wow, what a great success story that that animal was able to get home because of this. Oh, I need to make sure my microchips are up to date. Right. I mean, and it doesn't have to cost you any money, too. If, you, if you're willing to utilize volunteers, arm them with a scanner and have them go hang out at the breweries and the dog parks. They're not giving away microchips, but they're talking to people and say, hey, does your dog have a chip? Usually in those places they do scan the animal for them, write the number down, show them what they need to, to know and what they need to do if their animal ever gets lost. You know, I learned this from um, Aiden Parra in El Paso too. I stole it. So like I own it now, but telling people, for example, to put their, um, in their phone, my animals are in my phone as people, as contacts with their microchip number as their phone number and the company name and the phone number to the microchip company. Because if you ask me where my paperwork is right now, I don't know, but it's in my phone. And just these tiny little things that that are, um, I don't know, almost analogous to make, make it, because RTO and RTH means nothing to people, right? But losing your pet means a lot. So how do we how do we become relatable? So we're speeding through these goals of the Maddie's Fund Return to Home Challenge, but we'll have links in the show notes to the Maddie's Fund website where you can, of course, register to participate. And you'll also be able to find a crazy amount of resources on every aspect of return to home strategies. 
Uh, okay, but on to goal number three, organization embraces a culture of return to home. In my opinion, this is the most important one. Uh, and, and it does have to start with leadership, although it can be influenced from down below in the org chart. It should be something that's talked about at every staff meeting, the management meeting during the week. It needs to be on the agenda. Everybody that works in the organization needs to know that this is this is our goal. This is where we're currently at, at our percentages for reuniting lost pets. And this is where we want to be a year from now. These are the things we're doing to make that happen. And everybody has to own it. Volunteers, field officers, especially, they are so important, so important. But if you're not communicating this message to everybody in your org, it's, it's not going to work. It's like everybody has to speak return to home. Well, in a perfect world, everyone learns about this, realizes that they're all very common sense life-saving strategies, and they implement them, and great, we're done. But it's not a perfect world, is it? And it doesn't matter where you are, where you work, private organization, municipal shelter, there's never going to be full agreement in a workplace about anything. And that might be the only thing we can agree on. Um, and this is definitely a separate episode level question, but do you have advice for folks on how to shepherd through new strategies within their organization? You know, especially if you have staff members who are not big believers in these types of approaches. I think we have to start, I think Calvin Coolidge said this, uh, you have to have a willing suspension of disbelief because I hear it repeatedly. Oh, it may work in El Paso, but it's not going to work in Memphis or it worked for Kansas City Pet Project, but it's not working in, I don't know, Lake Tahoe, pick someplace, because we're different, right? Everybody thinks they're different. You're not different. We're all human beings. We all live in the same struggle. The scenery might be different, you know, right? The population size, the socioeconomics may be different, but at the bottom line is people have pets, people love their animals, and if they lose them, they want them back. And what may work in Orlando may not work in Sacramento. So that's why that goes back to really knowing your community, how to reach people best. But I don't know, I just suspend objection and it, call it a pilot. You know, let's say for two months, hey, during this challenge for one month, we're going to do these three things and see what happens. And there will be a shift in, in disbelief, I think. Okay, so number four, the organization works with the community to help facilitate return to homes. And that could be anything you want it to be, but here's some examples. Greenville, South Carolina outfitted every fire station, other cities are doing it as well, with microchip scanners, allowing the firemen, firewomen, to have people bring a lost animal to the fire station instead of driving the 32 miles to the shelter. That's not anything new, but it did come out in the last year and a half. I would say it, it gained traction. People know where the fire station is. They're less likely to be afraid of a fireman, not as not seen as, you know, a, a threat, especially if you're undocumented or you have a warrant and firefighters scan them. It's good for their PR. They love it. Actually, all the breweries in your town, if you're a brewery town, people go there with dogs, give them a scanner. You know, what's the local barber up to? somewhere that people trust. And it's, again, it's different depending upon where you live and where your people congregate in your communities. That's just one way to engage the community. We want people to help us. We need the public to help us. You know, we always say it's a community created problem, needs the community to be part of the solution. And all you have to do is go on Nextdoor, Ring, Facebook, wherever your community is gathering online, and you're going to see lots and lots of lost pet posts, right? People who find a pet and they're doing what they can on their own to get that pet home absent of any help 
from the shelter or anyone else. Well, and there's, I'm sure you've heard of it, the first 48 that started in Cabot, Arkansas, where they're asking people who find an animal to hold on to it for 48 hours and do these things to see if they could find the owners. And the data is staggering. It's absolutely staggering. We've done some um, data studies on about 20 shelters. If you ask the, the person bringing the animal into the shelter, if they'd be willing to hold it, at least 35% say yes. 35%. That's maybe 35 animals out of 100 not walking through your door. People have been doing this and finding owners by themselves for a very long time. And now we're acknowledging it. And these people are superheroes, in my opinion. And the more we share information and offer resources, like they need food or a crate or whatever, um, it's to our benefit. And I don't know if I were a community member and I got to help reunite an animal with its family and the shelter supported me in doing that. If there was a, a measure on the ballot for me to give more money to that shelter, I'd probably inclined to say yes, because they do good work. We got to think way beyond our walls. Wholeheartedly agree. Next up, number five. Technology is used to help reunite pets and owners. So many amazing, easy to use platforms out there today, Gina, to help with this. And a lot of very effective solutions we're seeing developed within individual communities across the country. So tell me what is out there today in terms of technology and how it's helping get pets back home. When people hear technology, they think dollars, that this is going to be expensive. And there are expensive solutions if you want to spend money, but there are literally free solutions. Like I'm trying to encourage shelters to allow volunteers to post every lost animal that comes into their facility on their local Craigslist page. First, we would be overwhelming the, the rehoming breeders with lost animal posts. People do use Craigslist. It's a free approach and it's more marketing for the shelter you may get one of those animals that doesn't leave adopted. I haven't gotten a shelter to do that yet. So I'm, I'm waiting. I just came up with this plan that you mentioned ring earlier, putting on, you know, we have this, what to do if you lost a pet or what to do if you found a pet. I want to see people add, go to your local ring network for your neighborhood and post the animal, whether it's lost or found. Even if you don't have a ring camera, you can do that. But shelters need to tell people to do that. They may not think of it. Um, Nextdoor is a big one. Sacramento was one of the first cities in the country to use Nextdoor. And we saw an exponential jump in reunification, plus unintended consequences. People realizing, wow, there's a lot of animals. Wow, they do good work. We thought there would be criticism. And it, I could probably count on one hand the nasty comments. And we got more donations, things we weren't expecting to have happen because you're marketing what you do. TransUnion, which is a debt collection service that most government shelters use to collect bad debt from people. If you're a government shelter, call your finance department and say, we need access to TransUnion. And you can use it to skip trace when the phone number's bad or when somebody moved. But instead of collecting debt, you're you're trying to reunite people. It's It's super cool and it's super cheap. I think we were paying 30 bucks a month. There's so much. You know, there's all the local Facebook pages. Everybody has them in their community where private people are doing lost and found. Make friends with those people. Buy them cookies. Do something. Invite them to the shelter. Guilford County, Jorge Ortega. He's got a local lost and found Facebook page in his community that has, I think, 80,000 followers, which is a lot for a private page. That group likes him, likes their shelter, and they post every single stray for them every single day for free. You can't pay for that. 
we have so much, we're in an information age. I mean, Petco Love Lost, I'm intimately familiar with it. It works. I know it works. And, but it's not going to work until we can speak to it. Everybody that talks to a, to a human being with an animal needs to be able to say, this is Petco Love Lost. This is how it works. Register your pet now before it ever gets lost. When we reach that point, we may be able to get rid of a bunch of other things. And when you're looking for someone that's, you've got a name, don't forget to check LinkedIn. Don't forget to check Instagram. I know we we're, you know we routinely check Facebook, but there are other social platforms that people can be found on. And, and it doesn't cost us anything to do that. If you're going to call somebody and you can't get through to them because the voicemail box isn't full or they haven't set up set it up, text them. If we're not texting people, we're really missing an opportunity because 90% of text messages are opened. So, I mean, and that's another super affordable way to, to connect with people. This is when I was going to talk about El Paso, Texas and what they've done uh, using GIS mapping. They do have the scanners at the fire stations across the community. It's more than like 40 firehouses, I think, but don't quote me on that number. But that mapping part, maybe not in some of the smallest communities in the country, but I would say that just about every municipality is using GIS mapping software for something. Police, utilities, planning, and GIS is geographic information system, right? So just geographic maps. In El Paso, they realized they could leverage that technology to create a map for lost and found pets in the community. So they developed, and it's very nifty, it's called the Pet Finder Map, not Pet Finder Map, Pet Space Finder Map, Pet Finder Map, and it uses the city's GIS system to map out all of the lost and found pets to the area where they've been reported, right? Where they've been found and lost. Publicly accessible, and again, it really just supports the public to be more successful in what they're already doing out there when they find or lose a pet, right? And of course, it's helping people who have lost their pet find their pets more effectively. So if you are using GIS technology in your community for something, someone there already knows how to use it and they can help you, right? Uh, it probably all sounds very complicated and it's not the most simple thing, but it's 2022, things in this area have gotten so much easier. So it really, it just isn't that hard anymore. Oh, it could be done super easy. It's actually not hard at all and it's not costly and it's amazing. And another use for volunteers who wanna work from home or don't wanna, you know, can't be in kennels with large animals and they sit and click and cross check Look at what's in the shelter and compare it against to all the lost reports. I mean, imagine the power of that. You know, Maricopa County is another one that has some interesting online presence with regard to looking at lost and found. They're also interesting in that their officers, every impound, every time an animal is picked up, a tweet goes out. And if you are on Chameleon, I think it's Chameleon, you can set up an auto tweet that's, you know, location, description, color. And people are actually following that Twitter, which is who thought, you know, who would have thunk? And to be clear, you're talking about a separate Twitter account, not the main shelter Twitter feed, but a dedicated account. And all it exists for is to put out those automatic tweets. Correct. If you go to their shelter page, you can actually click on their Twitter and see how they're doing it. Super cool. So almost like an emergency alert repository or something, right? Where as long as you're doing goal number two, which is return to home policies and lost found techniques are marketed to the community, people will know to go there, see those reports in real time as the shelter management software pushes them out. Correct. It's an animal control Twitter. Yeah, it's just for the officers. And I think it's pretty unique. I've not seen anybody else doing that. 
Arlington, Texas. Now I'm going to steal this from Scott Giacopo because he told me about it. I don't know how they did it. I'm still watching it. It's in its infancy. So an animal control officer brings up this like pet find map that they've created and they're responding to a call, lost black German shepherd. They have the dog. They put in the location that they are. And on the map, every animal that's licensed through them or microchipped by them or they've had contact with pops up on a map, all of them. And he just started clicking and, oh, two blocks away, here's a, a house that owns a black German shepherd. Let me check with them real quick or let me call them. It's super, super sweet. So stay tuned for, for more information on that. I don't know. I don't know anything more than that, but can you imagine? I mean, I, I emailed this to Suzanne Kogut at Petco Love Lost. I said, what if we could find a way to make Petco Love Lost useful to field officers? Let's start thinking about it that way. So who knows? I think in the next year, we're going to see some even more advances. So animal control, field services, it's got its own goal in the challenge, which is number seven. But before we get to that, we're going to do number six. Regulations and laws encourage return to home. So I was trying to think about how best to talk through this one because it's another that could be several individual episodes. But I was thinking, maybe give me some examples of ordinances that are very unhelpful when it comes to the work of getting pets back home. Well, I mean, and a lot of us have them or interpret us interpret them this way that the animal must be impounded at the shelter. Those do exist. And, and I, like I said, we often interpret them incorrectly. No, not every animal needs to come to the shelter. And if your ordinance says that, you need to change it, right? Because we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting these animals. Um, you know, the fees will absolutely not be waived. You know, you have to have, it's $472 to get your chihuahua back after three days. We really need to step back and look at it with the lens of someone who makes minimum wage, which a lot of our kennel technicians do. You know, could we afford those redemption fees? Is there a way to set up a guardian fund or something that you're able to offset the loss of the, of the revenue if, if it's absolutely that important to your organization? I mean, how can we, I mean, it's kind of like animals are property. It's like cars. When your car is impounded, those fees start racking up and a lot of people lose their cars, but dogs and cats aren't cars. They're sentient beings, right? Even though they're property in this country, Finding ways to, you know, look at your website. Does your language scary? You must have 12 pieces of proof that this animal is yours and 27 photographs and vet records. Vet records is the one that cracks me up because a lot of people don't go to the vet with regularity. You know, we're putting up all these barriers. You have to have, you know, government ID or, a, you know, an electric bill. Really? So I think having someone look at your rules that has nothing to do with your business and tell them you lost your dog. I want you to look at these things. How does it make you feel? What is your reaction? I, I would start there. Well, one that comes to mind for me is pet ownership limits. Setting arbitrary numbers around how many animals a person or household can have, they are arbitrary. You know, we know that one person with one dog can create more nuisance issues than one person with 10 dogs. Nuisance laws already exist. But the bottom line is how this relates to return to home, right? And it's that pet owners, when they've got more than what they're allowed to have, do you think they're going to willingly come get their cat's chip for free when they have four and they're only allowed to have three? No way. Well, and people not, in, like in Sacramento, if you got a rabies vaccination, the vaccinator, the doc DVM 
had to report it to the shelter. So people were avoiding. My best friend did not take her dog in for his rabies update because she didn't want the, the shelter to know that she had this extra dog. Does that even make sense? And in cities that have eliminated pet limits, I read a study on it, a paper on it. I think you probably have too. Licensing revenue skyrocketed because people didn't have to lie anymore. And it costs, probably costs organizations, I know it did in Sacramento, more money to collect that revenue than it did the ultimate end of what we collected. All the staff time, just all of it. It doesn't make any sense. Again, back to the culture part, you know, the way your organization, your community, the way you approach this work, if you come at it punitively, you're always going to struggle to be the resource that pet owners need you to be. And then your life-saving efforts are always going to be hampered. So anyway, let's be clear. Changing ordinances, not the easiest process. And many of you probably do need to look at them. Um, but you don't need to do that in order to participate in the Maddie's Fund Return to Home Challenge. Right. If you do anything, at least change it to, to, to allow, especially the animal control officers, to have some latitude in their decision-making. Like if I get pulled over by the cops where I live for speeding, that officer does not have to write me a ticket. We can have a conversation, right? Well, maybe it's just my face. Cause I'll say, Hey officer, you know, you don't need to write that ticket, you know, and he'll look at me and say, yeah, I know, but I'm going to write it anyway. <laughs> but they don't have to. And I think our, our animal control approach needs to be that way too. You know, if I can inform someone of the, a better way to do something and I'm not writing them a ticket, that's the, that's how I should start, don't you think? We want people to do better. We want the animals to stay with their people. And most pe I think most people are good. I don't think most people are bad, but we just see a lot of the bad and we become tarnished in our views. Yeah, it's a difficult time right now, I think, to trust your neighbor, isn't it? And, you know, it's difficult to continue believing that people on the whole are inherently good. These are very trying times, but it's the business we're in. We're in the business of kindness and compassion. And I know it's easy for me to say, sitting here in my office at home, you know, I'm not on the front lines of the work in a shelter every day, but I do understand how difficult it is to drop judgments. But if we're gonna create truly humane communities, we've gotta stop vilifying pet owners. Right. What do they say? Put human back into humane or the other way around? I can't remember, that was a campaign for a while. I think we really need to also put human back into humanity, probably also. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole, again, a whole other episode, a whole other podcast probably. Okay, so the final goal, last but certainly not least, number seven, organization strives to keep pets and people together by returning pets in the field rather than at the shelter. So animal control, animal services, field services, whatever you call that function in your community, making sure those folks are engaged, not just in finding lost pets and bringing them to the shelter, but they're actually engaged in the life-saving effort by actively working to get pets home out in the field. And I just, I just spent a week at a shelter and actually went on a ride along with an officer and we were talking about this very thing. And, you know, there's resistance and hesitation because it's, it's a different way to do your work. We've seen it very successfully done in some cities. Kansas City, for example, I think one month their officers reunited 77 animals. That's a lot of animals if you think about it. Um, and again, if you're rural or urban, all of those things factor in uh, on what you can and cannot do, like knocking on four or five doors, leaving door hangers, stopping the UPS guy. Hey, do you recognize this dog? Talking to a few kids. I think we have officers that have been doing this all along and not telling anyone that they were doing it. Hooray for them. 
I think organizations like Washoe County and Reno that did that do that massive microchipping, their rates are going to go higher. So that this number seven ties in with marketing the pet ID. I don't remember what number it was, but they're interconnected. I think you just need to figure out what works in your community, what neighborhood it works in and where it may not work. But I think the first and most important thing that officers can do is try, just try. We still have officers in the United States that will bring an animal to the shelter that is wearing an identification tag. So let's stop doing that for starters. Every officer should have a scanner and properly scan an animal in the field and get, you know, use AHA. Let's, let's get this thing rolling. Start an alert if it's chipped. Do those two things. If it has no identification and you don't have time to walk around, then don't. But if you do, try it. We want the community to trust us. Yeah, and understandably, there are a lot of Americans who are very uncomfortable, even scared of people in uniform. So it's just, I think, a very powerful way to show the place that field services has and should have in the community that those officers are heroes and they will do whatever they can to keep your family together. And man, so much trust you can build through that kind of action. Oh my God, you can't put a dollar amount on that. I mean, seriously. And when I was on my ride along, I will say that people were very open and accepting of the officers. So the culture in the streets must be good in that town. And we want to we want to do more of that because we do need them to trust us. And there is a time and a place for the strong arm of the law. You know, yeah, they're an enforcement component. But when they're not in enforcement mode, they can be in kindness mode. That's going to make a, a difference for that profession because it is a profession. All right, Gina Nepp, the Maddie's Fund Return to Home Challenge. Registration opened on the 25th. $300,000 total available in grants. So many incredible resources available, including those weekly Zoom calls we mentioned earlier. No better time than right now for you to take a look at some of these strategies and understand how you can reduce your shelter intake, but more importantly, how you can be more successful at keeping people and their pets together in your community. Yes, and I would encourage participants, don't get overwhelmed. Look at the seven things. Say, we're going to do two of these things really well, or pick one and, and you know, hit it out of the park. Don't, don't let it overwhelm you. And it, it is a short window of time, but you will be amazed at, at the change, quantifiable change you can make in 30 days and hopefully moving into the future, continuing to adopt those strategies. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.